0: and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that brings you full on movie breakdowns, TV reviews, and castings, all from the nostalgic things of our past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have a back-to-school episode for you. We are going to break down the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and we're going to review the TV show Saved by the Bell. We're also going to recast Ferris Bueller's Day Off as if it was a movie being remade today. I do want to call out MusicMan214 on Instagram because he is the person who kind of gave us this idea. He really wanted us to do Saved by the Bell, and so we figured Ferris Bueller's Day off makes sense. And now that we are in September, it makes a lot of sense for it to just kind of fit around with the school theme. So thank you very much, Music Man 214. Uh, I also want to call you out because you gave us our most recent review on iTunes, and that says... These guys are awesome. I love the show and everything about it. They cover movies and shows that I lived growing up in the 80s and 90s. I've only been a subscriber for a few weeks, but have already gone back and listened to like six other episodes. Awesome. I hope they were six good episodes that you listened to. <laughs> <laughs> and But it sounds like you are enjoying it. Uh, enjoying it enough to ask us to do one of your favorites of Saved by the Bell, which is fantastic because both John and I watched the hell out of this show.
1: Yeah, I definitely did.
0: But we'll get into Zach and the gang later. Right now, John's going to tell us a little about the year 1986.
1: Uh, We already talked about 1986 uh, when we had uh, Mr. Biddle on for Big Trouble in Little China. Mm -hmm. A few other things from that year. The Billboard Top 100 single from that year. Not really a song I enjoy, but it was the song That's What Friends Are For. Originally uh, written by Burt Bacharach, but this one was covered by uh, a group called Dion and Friends, which was basically Dion Warwick, Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder. Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me, for sure.
0: Okay, yeah, I've definitely heard this song, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's it's not like, when I think like, we're 86, we're like in the middle of the 80s. Yeah. This isn't what I would immediately think of as like the top song of a year.
1: Also that year, um, on a little bit of sad news, that was the year that the Challenger shuttle exploded. Yeah. Another, since we're speaking of sad stuff, another thing that happened that year was the death of Metallica bassist Cliff Burton. Oh. Who is a legend? I play. I play a little bit of bass, and he is absolute legend in the world of just bass—not necessarily metal or rock and roll, just bass. A <laughs> couple of other things. 1986. was actually a really good year for women in tv for in the emmys that year best comedy went to a show that i didn't really watch a lot but i loved the theme song which was the golden girls thank you for being afraid
0: I didn't watch it when I was younger, right? So it's hard to say we'll ever really go over. It, but I've actually watched episodes as I've gotten older, and it's like that's a pretty fucking good show. Yeah, it's really funny.
1: <laughs> and the uh, Emmy for best drama that year also went to Cagney and Lacey. Oh, okay. So good for women that year. And then something that ties in a little bit to this episode uh, in 1986, an IBM Personal Computer XT, which you, if you watch Ferris Bueller, is the computer Ferris Bueller uses, cost five thousand dollars damn so about the same as a car
0: that he really wanted so badly
1: right exactly nice so that was 1986 all right
0: let's just go ahead and get on into ferris bueller then Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986. This movie was written and directed by John Hughes, the king of the 80s. I don't think I really have to explain who he is to many people, but, you know, Pretty in Pink, you know, Uncle Buck. Home Alone, a lot, a lot of stuff that he worked on. I do want to call out some other people that you might not think about. Uh, the music in this film, which Ferris Bueller's Day Off has good music, but it's, most of it is the soundtrack. The soundtrack is really good, but the music is solid too. Mm-hmm. Ira Newman did the music in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he did some other kick-ass Some stuff that you'll recognize, obviously, with John Hughes as well. He did Uncle Buck, Sixteen Candles. He also did the music for Weird Science and Dragnet, the Dan Aykroyd film. Oh, nice. This movie was edited by Paul Hirsch, who you may or may not recognize the name. He has some pretty kick-ass credits. Paul Hirsch worked on Mission Impossible, the first one, as well as Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. He worked on some other 80s classics, including Footloose, Empire Strikes Back, Mm. and he was also the editor for the first Star Wars A New Hope film in 77. So Nice. So, yeah, this editor was pretty kick-ass. Uh, and then I also want to call out the cinematographer. So, like, there are some big names that worked on this film. Tak Fujimoto. Tak worked on multiple big films that we know of. Sixth Sense... Philadelphia, Pretty in Pink, so John Hughes again, mm-hmm. uh, and then also Silence of the Lambs, which is a gorgeously shot film. Yeah. So a kick ass uh, crew on this film, but not just a kick ass crew. This movie has a kick ass cast. Yeah, it does. It stars uh, Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, Alan Ruck as Cameron, Mia Sarah as Sloan, Jeffrey Jones, the old diddler that we talked about in Beetlejuice. Uh, he's back for. <laughs> For this movie as Mr. Rooney, and then Jennifer Grey as Ferris Bueller's sister, Jeannie, who most people probably recognize from Dirty Dancing. Yeah. So kick-ass cast. But this movie, it starts off with Ferris being, air quotes, sick, and he is playing it up. Uh, We meet his sister, Jeannie, who immediately, you can tell, is very skeptical and also very angsty. (laughs) She's just very angry at everything. He pulls it off. He plays it up. He knows how to act to get what he needs. And so his parents let him stay home. A Fantastic, easy, just quick little line when he first, like, turns to the camera and says, They bought it. It's just good. But we get... Him talking to the camera, so there's a lot of fourth wall breaks. Yeah, with Ferris Bueller, you know, he he talks immediately to his audience, like he just stares right into the camera and he's talking to us. So we kind of like kind of become part of his story, if you will. Like it's kind of it's kind of a fun. It's something that doesn't happen often before Ferris Bueller, in my in my opinion. Right. And but it really like this movie set the standard for that, if you will. Right. Like a lot of films parody this, um, and and parody the way that this film did that. Yeah. Did you catch that weird? mtv plug that made no fucking sense early on right after he kind of he gets the parents out of there uh, and he's like about to start his day he there's like this weird is like a quick little shot of mtv and like like i guess he's watching it on the tv but it's just like all right i guess uh, mtv paid for that little ad spot in ferris bueller
1: i'm guessing that's what it was just a yeah paid advertisement spot Uh, So Ferris is
0: talking to the audience and he basically you get a little like text on screen and he's giving us you know the proper ways how to fool your parents into thinking you're sick you know it's the key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands it's a good non-specific symptom I'm a big believer in it a lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a deadlock but uh you get a nervous mother you could wind up in a doctor's office that's worse than school it's just it's funny it sets up that Ferris knows what he's doing and he is prepared for everything. Yes. Um, He's kind of like almost like a superpower at how well he prepares for shit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Keeps coming. So he's kind of getting things started and we get a line. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I hear that line so often now, but it just it works and I love it. And it's it's great advice. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. He keeps making comments that he doesn't have a car and he's just like he's bitching about it i know he's a what a what a pretentious and like stuck up little asshole i mean he got like a computer and then he's obviously in a well-to-do family and he's just he's just bitching that he doesn't have a car and that's all he thinks about
1: well and here's the thing like so he has a computer. We've already established that computer costs $5,000. Yeah. Then in the scene and we'll talk I don't know if we'll get to it, but the scene where he's talking to the freshman and he's using the synthesizer to create the coughing sounds, that's an $8,000 synthesizer. <laughs> that's how much that cost in 1986. Jeez. In 1986, you could definitely buy a car for $8,000. Yeah. Definitely buy a car for these So I don't know what he's bitching about. Yeah,
0: I mean, he could have sold a synthesizer for it. Yeah. Or, yeah, just stop bitching that his very well-to-do family bought him a $5,000 computer and an $8,000 synthesizer. And
1: just be happy, man. Right. Although, this brings up one question that came to me as I was watching this. Is it established whether or not Ferris is the older sibling or Jeannie?
0: They don't call it out, but just by some typical deduction, Ferris is, he's got to be the older one because they talk about how much this is his senior year. Right. And it's, but I, I think Jeannie is just one year below him. He's okay. Gotta be, she's got to be a junior. But here's the thing she has a car. Yeah. But so, I mean, you know, so when she's older, so she, she probably got it when she was 16, so that's what. Right. But like, how, how, did she, how did she get a car before him? Because John, because <laughs> they're both past that age now. I mean, do I have to do math for you?
1: No, 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 no. I'm. My question is, is why did she get the car first when he's the older child? I understand the math of okay how age. Works. I, was, I was about worried.
0: I was like, we got to go into basic fucking math here, John. No, and what years? I mean, he's not really a trustworthy kid. Right. Like you wouldn't want to give him a car. <laughs> like if I was his parents, right. I guess because they bought him an $8,000 synthesizer and they didn't want to buy him a car, too, so they got Genie the car. How about that? Okay. I don't know. All right. We'll just go with that. So we're still getting Ferris, like, getting ready for the day. Uh, he's kind of talking to the camera still. He's in the shower. And I just want to call out, I just, I love quick little shot that he does where Matthew Brada kind of puts his hand up in front of the camera while he's, like, washing his junk. It's <laughs> it's just kind of funny. It's definitely got little moments of funny stuff. Yeah. Then we hear the classic voice, this roll call that Ben Stein is doing. Adams. Here. Adam Lee.
1: Here. Adamson? Here. Adler? Here. Anderson? Anderson? Here. Bueller? Bueller?
0: Bueller? Bueller? I don't think any line in this entire movie has been quoted more than Bueller. <laughs> Bueller like, that is, right. everybody says that at random times.
1: I'm assuming people
0: probably quote it and don't know the movie it came from. Very, yeah, exactly. It's, it's to that level in pop culture now. Yeah. But we also get Ben Stein calling for Fry. Fry. Fry.
1: Fry. fry.
0: <laughs> he just keeps calling Fry, same kind of thing, and then we cut over to Cameron Fry, uh, who is actually sick, and he's not in, which I'm assuming Ferris just knew he was going to be sick, and that's why he also called out sick. Yeah. So this is uh, Ferris's best friend, and he's trying to, he's Ferris is trying to coax him to come over. Uh, that's basically what we get so far. Uh, now we cut to, we meet Rooney. Uh, Ed Rooney, who is the principal of this high school, and he calls the mother of Fer- He calls Ferris's mother. He's concerned that this is, it's all bullshit. Basically, he's doing his job properly, as he really is doing his job most of the entire film. But what I want to call out is he calls his mom, and just the way he says that he's been out nine times. Right. <laughs> that's, that's one of my most quoted things. Like, yes. If I get to nine, I always say nine times the exact same way. But... Here, we find that Ferris is not just a very good actor when it comes to being sick. He's also a good computer hacker. Yeah. As Rooney is, like, checking his absences that it's been nine times. Nine times. It's going down. And Ferris is hacking into the school system and removing his uh, his absences, which is awesome. Yeah. That means he could change his grades. That means he can change anything. He's a renaissance man. He is. It's pretty kick-ass, like... <laughs> Honestly, they could have gone much more in depth (laughs) with just his hacking skills. Yeah. But I want to throw out editing here. I love, obviously, I love editing because I'm a post-production man. But it's just a funny cut where Ferris's mom is still talking to Rooney and she says,
1: I can assure you he is truly a very sick boy.
0: Boom. Hard cut to Ferris playing that clarinet terribly. (laughs) And it's just that juxtaposition right there together of like the setup of, oh no, he totally is something. And then, no, he's totally not something in the next cut just by seeing it right it's fantastic that's humor that's how you create humor in writing and editing is stuff like that and that just that makes me happy Uh, a lot of people don't think about that but think about your editor next time you're watching something and you get a good cut like that Life lessons with
1: Adam Speaks. <laughs> That's right. I fucking love editing. Uh, anyway. By the way, that line that he says in there when he's playing the clarinet never had one lesson. That was improvised. Oh, nice. He just sort of did it to the camera. <laughs> That's good. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Which begs the question
0: why does he have a clarinet? Maybe it's genies. I don't know. Yeah. We cut back to Ben Stein just being like really boring, constantly saying anyone. In
1: 1930, the Republican controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, passed the anyone, anyone. A tariff bill. It's
0: good. It, it juxtaposes with Ferris, like, doing his solo fun day shit that he's just prepping and how he's getting out of, obviously, school is super boring for him.
1: Yeah, and apparently John Hughes just told Ben Stein, just make up an actual economics lecture. So <laughs> that's just Ben Stein improving a lecture.
0: That's awesome. But also right now we are getting just little inklings that there's a rumor of Ferris and it's spreading around school. And he's apparently so sick, or uh, you know, that everyone's starting to hear about it. But also it shows that he's just so freaking popular right. that everybody knows him and everything's spreading around. And I think, and this is part of the reason, and we see, you know, every little scene that you know we see something big is happening with talking about Ferris, we also get like a cut of Jeannie and how pissed off she is. Yeah. And I think she she hates how easy things come for to ferris
1: it only just sort of occurred to me how similar the movie van wilder is yeah ferris bueller obviously was an inspiration for that because you get a lot of the sort of same ideas just in a slightly different context
0: yeah things come very sim- uh, easily to van wilder as they do ryan reynolds because when you're that fucking good looking <laughs> asshole <laughs> Which, Matthew Braddock's not as good-looking, but he's not a bad-looking kid. No. So just get beautiful, people. I mean, that's (laughs) all you have to do in life. That's what we know. Be beautiful. Be beautiful, and then everything will get handed to you. If you're not beautiful, make a podcast. (laughs) Make a podcast. Yes, there you go. And then everyone will love you. (laughs) All right, so Rooney and his assistant are talking about Ferris, and he's just, he's so skeptical of him. But we get... You know, just uh, the assistant. I can't remember her name, but I, I like the little line. Grace. Grace. Okay, that's right. like the way that she calls out that, oh, that he's so popular that. Sportos, motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wastoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. (laughs) That's just funny. But here, basically, Rudy, like, he decides, no, I want to fucking expose this kid for skipping. I want to get this kid who's been trying to cheat the system.
1: As someone who works in education, I don't think any principal ever really would do that.
0: No. I mean... but but Rooney's not your typical principal. He goes above and beyond, John. <laughs> he's he's not a regular. Just oh, I'm gonna sit on my hands while some kid is skipping. No, he's gonna take life by the horns, and he is going to show these kids personally that it's not okay to skip. So he's he's an above and beyonder. You know, he he probably deserves a merit increase because you know at his next performance review, this is something that the superintendent should be like, hey, you did a good job. You really wanted to go try and track down this kid. Yeah, that is something that not every principal
1: would do. So how about that? He deserves to be fired fired for a lot of the shit he does in this movie.
0: <laughs> well, yes. Or put in jail. Right. As well. We get Ferris then talking to Cameron and he gets him to come over. But here we kind of are really seeing Cameron just how neurotic he is. Like when he's in the car and he's debating if he wants to go over to Ferris's place. And he's like, should I do it? Should I not do it? No, he's going to keep bugging me. Cameron's just yeah, a lot of shit in his head. He's got some issues. Yeah. (laughs) Next, we meet this very cute girl who we know is Sloane, but a school nurse like opens up the door. And what I like is immediately she puts on her jacket. She knows Ferris is gone. And so she immediately knows whatever this nurse or whoever is going to be pulled out of classes, it's going to be her. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I always, for some reason, I always like that. But the nurse tells her that her grandmother has passed. Oh my God. And we get Cameron then calling Rooney as Sloane's father to try and get her out. Here we get, a, I mean, it's a fantastic scene where Rooney thinks it's Ferris Bueller trying to get his girlfriend out. So Rooney thinks he's got him. He's got like a gotcha moment. I'm going to, I'm going to fuck this kid over right now. But Ferris who thinks of everything, Yep. he anticipates that Rooney would do this exact thing. And so he calls the line as well, you know, just asking for his sister to get his missed assignments or whatever. And so it really throws Rooney through a loop. Uh, It's funny, you know, because he was calling out some bad shit on the phone (laughs) thinking it was Ferris. but, But in fact, it was Cameron. So he was doing the right thing. So Rooney is not wrong here. Again, he's just a little dumb. Right. In this conversation, Cameron kind of fucks up and says he wants Rooney to be out there with Sloane so we can give him a piece of his mind, which is a dumb idea. Yeah. But uh, here is what sets up the entire need for the Ferrari. (laughs) Because ferris says you can't go pick her up in that piece of shit that cameron owns it's got to be something nicer that mr sloan would would drive that's the entire basis of ferris pressuring cameron into taking his father's very sweet uh ferrari california 1960 something i can't remember what year it was
1: which is actually wasn't a real ferrari oh really yeah they uh, it was too expensive to rent an actual ferrari so they took a an MG chassis and then just made a fiberglass body and put it on top. So it's a fake Ferrari.
0: Oh, I'd say it, it looks awesome, though. <laughs> I
1: yeah, like I mean, it looks right, but it wasn't an
0: actual real Ferrari. Okay. We get the car, and we talk about the car, and we get that song. That Ferris Bueller song plays, Oh Yeah, by Yellow. And this is the first that we hear about it. So, like, that song is just goes with this movie, and it goes with, like, that car, in my opinion. If I ever bought, like, an old-school Ferrari, I would play, oh, yeah, over and over, and that's it. And people would get sick of driving with me, but I wouldn't care. (laughs) So, Ferris and Cameron go to pick up Sloane. I always thought this was weird. Ferris is dressed up in, like, a trench coat and a hat, you know, picking up Sloane. Right. You know, he's lucky that that Rooney didn't come closer and see that it was him. (laughs) Yeah. But... More so he's lucky because he says, "Oh Sloan, dear, come along," or something like that, and it is so obviously not the same voice that Cameron used, which Rooney was just listening to right how How did Rooney not pick up on that?
1: I guess he's more of an idiot than we thought.
0: no, no, john he's a he's a good <laughs> principal. <laughs> That always bugged me is because like it was so obviously not his voice. And also, like, I would imagine that that Rooney knows Ferris Bueller's face better than he knows Cameron's face. Right. Because Cameron, it's not established that he's like a bad kid or anything. So that means he probably doesn't know the principal all that well. Right. So, yeah. So I would imagine it should have been Cameron picking her up. Honestly, and Cameron looked older than Matthew Broderick too. <laughs> well, he
1: <laughs> was. Alan Ruck was like 28 or 29 when he made the movie. Oh, was it? Wow! Yeah, I did not go that old for my casting, but I mean, I mean, you totally
0: can, and you know, a lot of people can play a lot of ranges. So, okay, cool. Uh, as Sloane goes to Ferris, and here we get a funny little line of, uh, "Do you have a kiss for Daddy?" And then <laughs> they make out really quick. And I love, I love Rooney's response <laughs> as he says, "So that's how it is in their family."
1: It's just some weird shit. Just a little fucked that up. That just proves to me that he's more of an idiot. Yeah. Than on.
0: At that moment, he should have picked up that, you know, between the vo- Ferris's voice yeah. instead of Cameron's voice. That little makeout scene, like the whole trench coat and hat
1: situation. Yeah. I'm pretty sure any any real administrator at that point would have called Child Protective Services.
0: Yeah. So Ferris and Sloan and Cameron drive off. Here we see the license plate of the Ferrari, which I thought was funny. It's nervous. Right. Which I guess fits the father is so nervous about his beloved ferrari or something
1: it fits more uh it fits more cameron than i would assume yeah. it does his father that's what i was thinking too because
0: the, the the father seems like he's just like a complete asshole and he doesn't seem nervous he just seems like he's like an asshole and like he he only cares about the car yeah from what we've heard about him
1: but yeah nervous fits with cameron but whatever if you look closely at all the cars that you can see license plates on other than cameron's car they're all abbreviations for other john hughes movies
0: Oh, shit, that's awesome. So,
1: like, it was a girl, Katie. Her car was VCTN, which was uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Mm. Uh, Genie's was TBC for the Breakfast Club. (laughs) Tom's was MMOM for Mr. Mom. And Rooney's was uh, 4FBDO for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nice. <laughs> so the next time you watch a movie, look for those. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I don't think I've ever noticed that.
0: And I've seen the movie plenty of times. Like, granted, this movie was on TBS all the time. Yeah. I'd say probably even especially like during summer, you know, when we, when we had those days yeah. off. And we would just have on And Ferris Bueller was probably like playing once a week. <laughs> but so, yeah, I've seen a, a bunch. But I did see I saw the TBS cut version uh, and not this version, which has some slight differences, which I just didn't even realize some of them. Ah. So we get them. They're going to go take a joy ride. They're going to take the car to Chicago. Uh, and then we get a quick little scene of Save Ferris at school. Uh, that's like that's another thing that has like permeated pop culture that I think people who haven't even seen the movie probably have heard of Save Ferris. I mean, it isn't even a, a band? Band named say Ferris yeah yeah so like it's exactly like it's it's definitely permeated pop culture but genie just we get tons of little little scenes of things like that and just genie getting pissed off and her getting more and more angry. we get a quick scene of Rooney is calling Sloan's house, but we get like this again. We just get this next level of Ferris preparing and anticipating everything because they set up this answering machine decoy system of if he was going to call Sloan's house. Then you have to call the mortuary, but the mortuary is Cameron's phone and he leaves an answering machine message. So it's just <laughs> like the guy thinks of fucking everything. Yeah. Maybe he's got precognitive powers. Maybe he knows the future. Do you think about that?
1: He's a, a uh, uh, little Nostradamus Bueller?
0: Yeah, has got
1: something. Like, how else would he know exactly what people are going to do? And how are, how are everyone's parents not aware that this is going on? Yeah. <laughs> They just don't care about their kids.
0: But here, Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan leave the sweet-ass Ferrari in a car garage. So they're, like, going to go walk around and check out Chicago. And we see immediately
1: that the guy who takes the car, who looks like a slime ball, and great casting. That guy, (laughs) I don't know. His name is um, Richard Edson. And I've definitely seen him as characters in all different other kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. He just, he looks slimy it's
0: perfect casting honestly right him and this other guy kind of jump in and they just like they take the car off for a joyride cool okay we're, we're, we don't see them very much but we'll come back to them at some point right now ferris mom comes to the house to check on ferris she's worried about him which i always thought was interesting is weird i our mom never came and checked in on us when we were sick well she didn't have time <laughs> yeah true so Ferris' mom comes to check on him and again ferris's preparations are through the roof and he has this intricate mannequin setup where it's tied up and onto this rope and if the mom opens the door it like looks like it's kind of like rustling around and he's got this snoring tape going on yeah what i actually really really liked about this scene other than you know we see ferris and how ridiculously good he is at preparing for all the shit is i don't think i ever tied together in the earlier scenes where ferris is just kind of like talking to the camera about prepping some stuff we see him setting some of this stuff up like he is holding he grabs a trophy he grabs some rope now we see it's actually in use and what its purpose is for and so for me it's like oh shit that stuff all that kind of flowed really well it all tied in together right uh you know those little scenes where it seemed random where he would grab rope or grab a trophy or whatever and then now it's like you know because we didn't see the actual setup of any of it right it's all can just be inferred but like just grabbing that stuff early
1: on like to me that's good filmmaking yeah <laughs> I, I i like how that worked and the hat and trench coat that he's wearing which actually we first see when he's playing the clarinet i think mm-hmm That we see when he picks up Sloan was on the mannequin the first time you see the room.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. So they did a very good job with all of that. And they go to this place for lunch called Shea Queez. Shea Keys. I I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's C-H-E-Z for Shea and then Q-U-I-S. He checks out the guest list and he sees that there's this guy, Abe Froman, who has the same amount in his party that they've got. And so they want to have their fancy lunch. And another great line that he pretends he's Abe Froman and the pretentious host says, You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. And Ferris, who never backs down from any lie, it seems, keeps pushing it. He goes, you know, tenfold. uh, And then he uses his phone trickeration with Sloane on there to call the Mater D, basically, and make him think that ferris is actually him which also kind of begs the question to me did the real abe froman never show up like what happened what is his storyline they should do a spinoff or at least a book or something about the real abe froman and (laughs) let me know did he actually get there did he get a separate table or did they say no we already have abe froman and they kicked him out like
1: i'm i'm so curious that sounds like a uh youtube fanfic you should make
0: yeah yeah definitely we can can definitely do that So our next little little scene here is we get Jeannie who uh, we actually get some of Jeannie's internal monologue. And so she's she's kind of an interesting character because she's definitely not the main character, obviously. Right. But like not very often do you get like the internal monologue of someone else. But I guess it it being Ferris's sister and just how much she hates him, (laughs) it's (laughs) it's. Interesting, but this is kind of like the setup of that she is so pissed off that she wants to, just like Rooney, catch Ferris in the act to expose him so he just can't get off so easy. Next, we get some fourth wall breaking. Ferris is telling us about Cameron and just his family life. It's just kind of rough. You know, we kind of make us feel bad for Cameron and kind of like understanding of why he's so neurotic.
1: Apparently, the character of Cameron was based on one of John Hughes's real life friends from high school. Someone he knew who was just sort of had a bad family life, was neurotic and was only happy when he was sick
0: yeah <laughs> that's unfortunate yeah but yeah ferris is talking about the ferrari and i loves how he how he describes it i love driving it it is so choice
1: <laughs> which it is <laughs> yeah
0: i always thought it was just funny the way he says it and then as he's like leaving the bathroom talking to us about it we see his father come out right behind him who he doesn't happen to see at that moment yeah but they have to like sneak out of the restaurant They're outside of the front of the restaurant without the dad seeing them. Just a fun little spot of where they kind of like sneak into this taxi while he's not looking. He's talking to some other businessmen. And, you know, as they leave, like they do this weird finger snap. And I always, you know, they all not just Ferris, but like, you know, I feel like he's doing it for the camera because he knows there's an audience. And so he's doing it. And then Sloan and Cameron just kind of follow.
1: I want to bring up the father is sort of at the center of, of a theory that all of John Hughes's movies take place in the same universe. Mm, okay one example of this is the father um in the movie planes trains and automobiles there's a business meeting scene that steve martin is in and he is in it wearing a very similar suit oh okay so that, yeah there's a theory that all of john Hughes's, is at least the ones that he directed and wrote that all of those movies are all connected somehow nice i
0: like planes trains i haven't seen that one in a while yeah Now we get Rooney, who has left the school trying to find Ferris. And he goes to, like, where he thinks a kid would hang out, which is like a pizza joint. You know, like this arcade pizza joint. Right. And he sees this person who happens to be wearing, like, the same jacket. We get just a funny scene. He turns this person around. He says, like, your ass is mine. And this female is not very happy with it and blows her fucking Coke straw, like blows Coke all over him. Yeah. Which I always thought was funny. But what makes this good filmmaking is as he's like getting a napkin to clean himself off and like just being stupid with the guy at the counter. The guy has the Cubs baseball game on and here you see a foul ball getting hit and who catches it in the stands but Ferris (laughs) (laughs) and you see Ferris on the TV Rooney's not paying attention. He's like turned around. And once he kind of looks at the TV, the cut's gone and you are you don't see Ferris anymore. So he kind of missed his chance to see him on the screen, which was just, it's good timing. It's I, I like how they did that. Yeah. But uh, so then we cut to Ferris and Cameron and Sloane at the game. And another just tiny little line, like again, like, and there's, yeah, there's just so many of these little lines that I probably say or I hear all over. And for this one, it's, it's Cameron, the way he does yep. the swing batter. Yep. Hey!
1: i do that every time i go to a baseball game whether whether it's a professional baseball game a little league baseball game it doesn't matter if it's baseball i i'll start doing that line kennedy kennedy a swing a better it's just yeah
0: it's good So we get a lot of just, like, we're cutting back and forth and back and forth between, you know, Rooney and Ferris and this stuff. Kind of, like, what they're doing and then Rooney's journey on trying to find... Ferris. Right. So Rooney goes to Ferris's house, and again, we get another scene of just how fucking, how much time did it take <laughs> to prep this stuff, I really, know. when you think about it? Because I don't think Ferris would have nearly this much time to, there's no way everything that he did in this day, he would have time for in a real day. Right. <laughs> so he sets up this intricate intercom thing. So he's got an intercom system at the house, but he sets up this tape. To play anytime the ring bell the the doorbell rings so basically he's not just a computer hacker and a master planner he is also an electrician because he kind of he he had to rework the wires in the intercom to work with his tape on his big stereo system in his room mm-hmm. this kid obviously is like basically almost genius level but he just doesn't apply himself in school that's obvious here Rooney you know who keeps ringing the doorbell so it keeps kind of replaying. The same message. He's wise to it. He knows this is bullshit. So at this point, he decides he's going to break into the house. And this is where Re- Rooney really goes over the line. Yeah, <laughs> Like everything else I can allow uh, as a principal. Here, it's like, all right, now you're getting into some illegal shit. Yep. But we see he gets his foot stuck in, uh, or his shoe stuck in the mud. Some physical kind of humor that Rooney does, which is kind of good makes me even think of like you know not not quite home alone level but it's obviously there there's some similarities there right then a very very short cut of we get the star wars music yeah Which I, which I didn't realize that the editor was the same editor. So right. It kind of works. I bet I bet they just use it as temp music and then they're like, no, fuck it, let's actually pay for the rights.
1: Right. I forgot that it, there that it was the Star Wars theme that happens there. I don't know what I had in yeah. my head. I, I thought maybe it was like 2001 or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, or also Sprock or and or something else that I forgot. And then it turned on and, and I was like, oh, shit.
0: It was Star Wars. Maybe John Hughes
1: and like George uh,
0: Lucas are like good friends or something. I don't know. Who knows? It's just, it's fantastic, though. Like, that is another, like, shot that everybody knows. It's like, so that's Star Wars music, and the guys from the garage are, like, leaping, like, flying in the air in this badass Ferrari, like, doing their joyride. And this is really the only shot of their joyride that we actually see. Yeah. But it's just, it's classic, and you don't really need any more of it. You you just need to know, like, they are going around having a kick-ass
1: time. Right. And apparently their job's not missing them
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah they, there's like no consequences for them so fuck that's the job <laughs> i want yeah, i know i'm gonna quit post-production and i'm just gonna become a garage you know Attended. attendant a valet yeah a valet and just drive around in the cars all the time because they'll never find out and then my job won't care that i'm gone not making any money so fine cool <laughs> We cut back to Rooney and he is trying to go in the doggy door and it's just funny. And then everything else was or a lot of other stuff was set up about the house or like seeing like those little things that Ferris like has prepared. Right. Except for this dog. Yeah. This dog comes out of nowhere. They just all of a sudden have a Rottweiler. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so Rooney was trying to get in there but not happening. The Rottweiler is not happy with Rooney and chases him out, uh, which is just funny. Now we get just another a fun quick little scene of Ferris and Cameron and Sloan are all like, you know, high classing it up. Today, and they're at this art gallery. They are checking out some sweet art, and I really like the music in the background. It's, uh, please, please, please let me get what I want. It's just a fantastic song. It works really well. That whole scene is just nice. You know, you get get them standing in some funny poses, and the music works really well. To me, it's just kind of, like, a a classic little scene. Like, everything everything about this movie is fucking classic.
1: It also kind of shows, like, how sophisticated Ferris actually is, because I don't know about you, but if I was skipping school, going to a fancy restaurant, going to a Cubs game. Well, maybe maybe a baseball game, but Baseball game, yeah. Yeah, but like uh, you know, like an art gallery? That's not at all what I would have done. I don't really know a lot of high school kids that would. Yeah, Ferris is definitely different. Yeah, and I think he's just he's out for experiences. That's what he wants. After the
0: art scene, we now get started in The parade scene. And we just see that a German American parade is going on. Currently, they're in like this taxi. Cameron, like, wants to head on back, you know, it's right. They've got like a couple hours or whatever uh, before it's time to be done. Again, we see Ferris's dad. So he just kind of keeps popping up, right, which is just kind of funny. Uh, And so Cameron and Ferris hide. But I guess Sloan never met Ferris's dad, which is fine, I guess. That was the confusion I had, because I I would think that they would know his girlfriend, but I guess not. I guess not. I mean, I guess Ferris just kind of keeps her quiet for them but like we know that they've been going out for long enough that ferris like loves her right and says he wants to marry her i don't know they must not know him but we get that weird i thought it was weird the way like she's like flirting with the dad (laughs) yeah (laughs) just okay
1: and then he tickles her for some reason yeah yeah which actually he actually tickled her that's actually um mia sarah like laughing hysterically as matthew broderick is like tickling her legs and feet
0: (laughs) so yes they get away from the dad which is good and here we get Probably the maybe the best known scene or maybe like when I think of Ferris Bueller this is probably the scene that I immediately think of right and it's Ferris is on the on a random float singing Donkashane
1: Shame. What are you doing Thank you for you are you on, on your mind hey. Picture oh. show
0: which makes total sense. It's a German American parade right. kind of thing. And so Don Shane by the classic song by Wayne Newton. So that works. But what I don't think very fits in a German American like pride parade is the next song Twist and Shout.
1: Yeah. And it was the Beatles version too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll
0: here we get like a fantastic random dancing you know <laughs> Just, right. as as apparently what happens in Chicago you know in the 80s if you played loud music there was going to be like a dance mob yep which is fantastic um it happened in blues brothers it happens here it happens i feel like multiple other stuff uh, but i do want to call out that dance scene like the dance mob in Chicago of everything right. and that whole like scene was directed it was and it was choreographed and i think like a second unit dire- directed by Kenny Ortega oh who Kenny Ortega, we've talked about. He directed the Newsies that we've discussed before. Yeah, um, I think he directed another one even that we talked about before. But uh, he's also like worked on. He did Footloose, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so he like that scene was basically you know his direction and his choreography. Then we get a very quick little scene of. Uh, a flower delivery man uh who drops off the flowers and i knew immediately i was like and i kind of forgot about this yeah but I, I had to double check and i was like wait a minute is that Louie anderson <laughs> and it is <laughs> yeah it is louis the comedian louis anderson is the flower delivery guy
1: and we see him again a little later too. yes
0: we, we do um and rooney uses those flowers to drop them on the dog's head <laughs> Which is unfortunate and a little bit of animal cruelty to boot on top of breaking and entering.
1: I never understood it as a kid that what he had done was smashed the flowers on top yes. of that. I think I always thought like he maybe he fed them to the dog and they were poisonous. <laughs> it wasn't until much later I got the concept of, oh, he had smashed it on the dog's head
0: yes so sweet innocent john no. i know here we get a line which i never saw on the tbs cut and i didn't know so this movie is pg-13 but i had no idea there was an f-bomb right in this film because rooney once he gets the flowers he says
1: poochie 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 look what uncle n has for you little fucker
0: when I think of this movie I don't really think of the bad language but there's actually quite a bit of shits and yeah. and asses, fat holes and uh you know this one one f bomb. Right. Because I always I always saw this on TV, you know, and so it's it's more of like a whole, the wholesome cut. <laughs> <laughs> Here we get Genie who sees like this save ferris water tower she's pissed and so she goes home she because she wants to grab ferris but unbeknownst to her rooney is there too so Jeannie busts into ferris's room she sees the mannequin she's pissed off rooney kind of follows her in there she hears someone going in the door thinking it's ferris coming back home and so she's gonna try and you know catch him he thinks It was Ferris who just went in, so he's trying to catch Ferris still. We just get a funny scene uh, where they jump out in front of each other and Genie has a... She's got some good, I guess, dancing legs or some karate legs that worked well in in Dirty Dancing because she kicks the shit out of Rooney right in his
1: face. (laughs) And this is where good editing comes into place because when they filmed it, she only kicked him once. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even even this film, I think I don't
0: think she actually kicked him more than once. I think like the triple kick was just the same kick over and over and over again. It was. Again. It was. Even but even for the cut, I never I never really thought it was three kicks. I always I always anticipated it was, it was just one, but you kind of got you know a déjà vu of seeing it over and over again. Like oh, it, that's what you can call it. I don't know. It's just an editing technique. I always saw it as three distinct kicks. Maybe I always thought it was an editing technique of oh, just okay. one kick, but just revisiting it three times. Oh, okay what do you think is it one kick or three kick this is the most controversial part of the of our podcast <laughs> right now It's the only thing that john and i are disagreeing on <laughs> anyway uh ferris and cameron and sloan get the car back It's just a great shot here, actually. I do want to call it out that so they're on like the left side of screen as they're waiting in the garage, but on the right side, kind of through a window, you see the Ferrari coming back from its, you know, fun joy ride and the garage. One of the guys hopping out and the other like brings it around, um, you know, just in perfect timing. But it, it worked really, really well. Yeah. And, you know, all of this is kind of cut at the same time as Jeannie is. She's at home. She calls the police. You know, she's scared. She saw someone. I guess it was so quick that she didn't realize it was Rooney or maybe she just didn't really know, you know, her principal, but she is calling the police. And I I just, I love, I want to call, I love her line. You know, she's pissed off at the police for not really believing her. And she says,
1: I am very cute. I am very alone and I'm very protective of my body. I do not want it violated or killed. All right. I need help. (laughs) <laughs>
0: jennifer gray's performance is actually pretty good i think she does a very good job of playing like a pissed off angry little sister yeah <laughs> and another and again another line from her where she knows that whoever you know she says whoever is here
1: excuse me oh. whoever's in the house is still in the house i'd like you to know that i've just called the police so if you have any brains whatsoever you'll get your ass out of my house real quick I'd also like to add that I have my father's gun and a scorching case of herpes. <laughs> <laughs> She's
0: trying to intimidate whoever she kicked to get the hell out of the house. Yeah. Now we're getting to, you know, I guess one of the, the major dilemmas because Ferris at this point sees the mileage on the car where it was like 126 is now over 300 miles. And so Cameron, who is, you know, worried because his dad loves this car more than life itself, he yells. Oh! But in between this moment, we get a little scene of the doorbell rings at home. Jeannie assumes and thinks it's the police who she just called. And she goes down to find this nurse who sings a very suggestive song. (laughs) I heard that you were feeling ill, headache, fever, and a chill. I came to help restore your pluck Cause I'm the nurse who likes to I'd never really listened to the lyrics of that song before Yeah But I really listened to it this time And it was funny, man Yeah, it was the same (laughs) So did somebody send him a hooker?
1: That's what I thought I was like, someone sent him a hooker They got sent flowers, balloons, and a hooker
0: Yeah, that never clicked before Like never, only in this first time Which I, or now watching it Which I think was awesome Yeah (laughs) But now Cameron is like in this zombie state you know, they're trying to wake him up by taking him to the pool and thought it was kind of weird that they're all they're all in their underwear, like in the pool. It's just kind of I find it strange that Sloane, she's in like a nightie. Yeah, she's in a nightie. So does that mean that she wore a nighty
1: under all of her other clothes? I don't know. It had to. <laughs> like, I don't know. Because I think
0: I think at this point they're at Cameron's house.
1: Unless she bought it while they were in Chicago
0: in a scene that we don't see. I guess so. But like Ferris and Cameron are just like in their underwear, so I guess they took Cameron's clothes off for him, maybe because he really wasn't doing anything. Right. But Sloane, yeah, she's just she's kind of just in her like 90 and panties or whatever. And I just thought I just thought it was weird. It's like where did she have that 90? I don't know. <laughs> uh, now we get Cameron's attempted suicide, which. I think i always thought was like actually like a real attempted suicide but he does kind of say after ferris and sloan pull him out that he was just joking with them you know we get his great line this is this is another a line that i fucking quote all the time where after ferris pulls him out out of the pool to save his life cameron opens his eyes and says ferris bueller you're my hero (laughs) (laughs) i love love that line like i say that line a lot like if I'm working with my team of editors and like someone does something good, I will always go like whoever's name, you're my hero. <laughs> and they just Well here's the it, I don't think they get it. I was just saying do they understand the reference? No, they don't. Do they laugh? Uh, Probably just because I'm their boss and (laughs) they do it just to be nice. But anyway,
1: you should make your team sit down and watch this movie so they can understand all the references.
0: Oh, they'd probably like it if I blocked off like two hours of their time and say, we're just going to watch a movie today.
1: I'd want to come work for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Cameron kind of says that, you know, he was just kind of thinking in this state and, you know, just seemed like it wasn't really a a suicide attempt. But I always, I don't know, I always kind of thought it was.
1: I don't know. I always thought he was just faking it. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, because that's what he says and that's what the script backs up. But I don't know why I I always... Thought that this was him like going off the deep end fully, but and then maybe he snapped out of it after Ferris saved his life, but didn't seem like it. Seemed like because he seems to be a little jokester too. He, he fucks around with Ferris every now and then, yeah. So now we have Jeannie at the police office and we get a great scene with Charlie Sheen, um, <laughs> who's playing a drug addict who's basically just playing Charlie Sheen, but he's giving out. F- we this is way before tiger blood uh, and <laughs> winning charlie sheen this is still respectable charlie sheen but he's giving off words of wisdom and it's just it's funny and we get another a funny little thing of even he's heard of ferris bueller um which pisses off genie now ferris sloan and cameron are trying to get the ferrari to take off the miles they're gonna put the car in reverse and hope that that <laughs> like literally reverses the miles which is ridiculous and of course it doesn't work right. that's not how the odometers work right but cameron he's pissed off about it and and he's just, I think he's just, he's decided he's going to take a stand. And he's fed up with his dad and how much his dad gives a shit about him. He's taking out his aggression on the car, uh, which I feel bad for that car because the thing is beautiful. Yeah. So he keeps kicking it and he's bashing it. And he's like breaking the bumper or whatnot and uh, right. the lights and stuff like that. He ends up kicking it, pretty much kicking it after he like leans down on it off the jack. And it's still going in reverse. And it goes out the back of the garage and it crashes. Uh, I feel like everybody knows this scene where he killed the car. So they're trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And I always thought this was a weird line where Ferris says, no, I'll take the blame. Your father, he hits me anyway. And I'm like, what
1: the fuck? You heard that? You know what the line I'm talking about? Oh, he says he hates me, not he hits me.
0: Oh, God damn. I always thought he <laughs> said he hits me.
1: No, he said he hates me anyway. I'll take the heat for it. We'll wait for your father to come home. And when he gets here, I'll tell him that I did it. He hates me
0: anyway. <laughs> I, and for John, forever, I always <laughs> thought this was the line. So I thought this guy was a piece of shit, and he's like, like literally beating up on Cameron's friends.
1: No, he says, I could have sworn it was he hits me anyway. No, it's it's definitely hates me.
0: I've gone for years thinking this guy <laughs> beats Ferris. Holy shit! Okay, I don't know why I always assumed it was it.
1: You hear what you want to hear.
0: Yeah. I guess I want someone to hit Ferris. I guess because <laughs> Ferris he just life is so easy for him. You know, I guess that thought that would be the one thing. God, I could have sworn. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> All right, that blew my mind. But Cameron says no. He's going to take up his stand uh, himself. And we get some kind of hopeful music in the background. Because Cameron's going to be his own man and, and st- stand up to his father. Next, the mom is at the police station picking up Jeannie. Now we get her kind of flirting with Charlie Sheen. And we get a weird, weird thing where she says people call her Shauna. You know that? Where she's like. Yeah. And then you get that great music in the background. Shauna. Shauna. Ooh, Shauna Jeannie. That was obviously written for that scene. But where did that come from? I have no idea. She's only referred to as Genie the entire movie. And then she's like, but some people call me Shauna. And I have, feel like that's got to be from something. There's no way that's not from something. So I just, I don't know, I never got it. But I just always loved the music that they played behind it. (laughs) So at this point ferris has to like we're at the the end of the movie ferris has to you know at the end of his adventure and that he has to get home before six o'clock because established that his dad would be home by six o'clock and so he's got to He's gotta get there. We get, you know, him starting to to make his way back, and he ends up running into Genie and his mom, who luckily his mom doesn't notice him because Genie's driving. But we get this fantastic music playing, and he starts making his way back uh, home. And, and it's just another this is another great scene. And one that's been spoofed many times. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like this this one, you know, part of, like there's so many parts of this film that just have been replicated. So he's like running through the neighborhood trying to get you know he's running through houses jumping over people you know over walls over fences funny little scene of him running by two women in bikinis and then he stops and (laughs) turns back and says hi funny shit but he ends up getting back to the house in into the back door in perfect time or that rooney is there and he looks beaten to shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah but kind of weirdly enough Jeannie opens the back door finds ferris with rooney and she previously found a wallet. That Rooney left in their house, and so she knows who he is. She ends up saving Ferris. She kind of like changes her mind, I guess. You know, immediately from oh she wants to fucking get Ferris and expose him to oh I guess I'll help him this time because Rooney's here. I guess maybe she assumes that well now I don't he, know, she just won't now he owes her. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's what it is. But she uh, shuts the door, which wakes up the dog and off screen, the dog and chases Rooney again. It's funny. Ferris rushes into bed, turns off his snoring tape because it was still going off, but he does it fantastically with the ball that he had in his pocket that he caught from the foul ball. Stuff that ties in together like this. This movie does typically a very good job of that. Just in time for his parents to come in, check in on him, and the movie ends with that line, That comes back to us. Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. And again, we get the music. Oh, yeah. So that's the end of the film. But we also get, I always liked that this movie has like, it's, Credit scene. There's playing a whole nother scene of Rooney kind of getting on the bus right? Uh, while the credits are going on, and it's a long, drawn-out scene, which works fine. You don't really, you know, you don't want it to move fast, but it's just, it's funny. I've, I've always liked it.
1: I forgot that that scene covers the entirety of the credits, which is nice. Yeah,
0: it, it is. It, it lets you want to stay for the credits, and it works really well. Uh, and then, at the end of that, we have another thing that has been repeated and parodied many times. There's an actual end credit scene where Ferris is in his robe, and he tells the audience it's over. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. <sighs> Deadpool 1 parodied that exactly. That's the end of the movie. We've talked about Ferris B. for <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah this is still a good movie obviously I don't think anybody you have to be a little bit crazy if you liked this movie as a kid and you don't like it now I don't know what's what has changed because this film hits a wide range of ages like it was fun for me to watch this as a kid watching this on TBS you know you get less shits you get less fucks and that kind of thing but that's fine the thing is the story is still good. Yeah. You know, as an adult, you pick up on some of those other little things that you may not have picked up on before, but John Hughes is so good with his story. That's why this movie stands the test of time. And that's why he is considered the king of the 80s because they're not just good in the 80s. They're movies that people still watch today and that's why he's king.
1: Apparently he wrote this script
0: in six days. Yeah. Oh, I remember you said, I think when we were talking about Home Alone, you said like he just completely immerses himself and he just like cranks out shit like crazy fast, which is that's insane. Yeah. There's no shocker here. Ferris Bueller, it's lasted this long because it is this good and it is, it's fun. I really enjoyed sitting and watching this. Like it, it made me happy. Like it brought me back to where there was so much just fun lines and fun scenes. And I would say maybe even more so now because I've seen it parodied so many times. I've seen it in pop culture so many times that it's kind of nice to like, go back to the original right. with some of that stuff so so yeah like I, I this is people stop what you're doing I, I mean keep listening to the podcast and, <laughs> but then stop after after you finish this episode listen to another episode and then stop. <laughs> Then stop and watch Ferris Bueller because it's, uh, it's fucking good.
1: The movie's so good. It permeates pop culture, and I think it celebrates pop culture in its own way. I really can't say much more than you did. It's an incredible movie. It's it's a classic. It's always going to be a classic. It's completely quotable. Everyone still references it today. That's how you know a movie is good. You can fight with the critics as to whether or not what makes a good movie, but I think this makes a good movie.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Bow, bow. All right, and now we are going to talk about Saved by the Bell, uh, which officially ran from 1989 to 1992. Um, The series, a lot of people don't realize it was actually, I don't know if I'd call it a spinoff, but a continuation of a different series. A rebranding of an older series called Good Morning Miss Bliss, both of which were created by a guy named Sam Bobrick who was a writer on some really great older comedies. He was a writer on Get Smart, The Andy Griffith Show, The Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Which Good Morning Miss Bliss starred um,
0: Haley Mills, right? Uh, From The Parent Trap. That's what I remember her from.
1: Yep, uh, starred uh, Haley Mills, uh, which actually Good Morning Miss Bliss ran from 1987 to 1989, but it was really only one season.
0: Which if you look up on, because all the Saved by the Bell episodes are on Hulu, Yes. And so they kind of like rebranded even like Good Morning Miss Bliss into just, they kind of call it season one now of Saved by the Bell. At least it is, that's how it is in Hulu.
1: Well, what happened was when Saved by the Bell went into syndication, they actually redid intros from Good Morning Miss Bliss. And that would come on as Zach talking to the audience, talking about back in junior high school, because Good Morning Miss Bliss takes place in middle school. Saved by the Bell takes place in high school. They used them as flashbacks. Yeah. So, but they, Piled them together with the newer Saved by the Bell episodes and just packaged them all as Saved by the Bell.
0: Even though they, they did their middle school in Cincinnati and his high school in California. Uh,
1: it's not Cincinnati, it was Indiana. In,
0: Indiana, okay, sorry. So
1: I'll talk a little bit about both casts because um, they're slightly different, but let's talk about the actual Saved by the Bell cast. Um, so you have Mark Paul Gossler as Zach Morris, Mario Lopez as AC Slater, Dustin Diamond as Screech Powers, Lark Voorhees as Lisa Turtle, Tiffany Amber. Thiessen as Kelly Kapowski, Elizabeth Berkeley as Jesse Spano, and Dennis Haskins, or Haskins, I'm not really sure how he says it. Ha- it's Haskins. Haskins yeah. as uh, the principal, Mr. Belding. At this point, they're all famous for obviously being in this show, but all kind of went on and continued their careers, but I don't know if they ever really outgrew. I think the only one who kind of outgrew this is Mario Lopez.
0: Yeah, he's, he's the only one who's still a star, I would say.
1: But not for being an actor, sort of for being a host. Yeah, true. Elizabeth Berkeley f- famously took a left turn when she came out in the movie Showgirls. She was trying to get rid of the stigma of Saved by the Bell. Right. Which, I mean, is, is understandable. It happens a lot, you know, if you get pigeonholed into, you know, certain types of roles. Although I did say, I did actually like her in the movie Any Given Sunday. She played, like, the owner's daughter or, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: Of all of these people, I would say probably Mark Paul Gossler has the best acting career. Because he's done, I mean, he did, like, NYPD Blue. Yeah. And he was in, like, what, Suits or something as well. Like, he's he's done multiple good acting things. But, yeah, Mario Lopez is probably the biggest star. Right which I want to I want to give a shout out but my good buddy Jeff James who I know listens to the podcast has told me that there's only one star that ever came out of his small town in North Georgia and that is Dennis Haskins <laughs> and, <laughs> and and he said I think he said that like Dennis Haskins still like that's pretty much all he has is his Saved by the bell years <laughs> and he just he's kind of just like he coasts around in that little town just
1: being like yep I'm I'm principal building <laughs> but you know what it's everyone still knows it everyone still kind of remembers that and and references it and especially now that we live in an age where sort of reliving the nostalgic years of our youth is such a big thing they did famously not too long ago they did a sketch on Jimmy Fallon where they all came back for this sketch
0: well all all of the people who were like you know weren't in jail (laughs) (laughs) or messed up no yeah I mean it's everybody but Dustin Diamond and Lark Voorhees, who kind of came back for that, which was fantastic.
1: Right. Well, and Dustin Diamond sort of had a... Oh, yeah. He, st- he stabbed a guy. Like, he's, he's a fucked up individual. Yeah. You know what? I think he's sort of the victim of the Hollywood system in this case. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that if you... Like, especially when the when the series first started, all of the actors were 15, except for Elizabeth Berkeley, who was 17. Dustin Diamond was 12. Yeah, yeah, I did know that,
0: that he was the youngest.
1: He was still really immature. One of the producers stated that somehow they didn't know that he was 12, and if had they known, they never would have cast him in that part. I mean, he plays the part well, you know, for what it is. Which is just a crock of shit, because... Yeah, you still have to like you know you still
0: had to do like an I nine or a W two or something that puts <laughs> puts people's like information in there and you know like their social security numbers. So I mean, if they wanted to find out, they could have found out.
1: But whatever. Right. As I mentioned before, the series came off of a new of an older series called Good Morning Miss Bliss, in which the character of Zach Morris and Screech were in there. But the f- main focus was initially supposed to be Miss Bliss played by Haley Mills. They did kind of change the focus to be about the kids. There was, uh, famously, if you don't know how TV shows work, I don't know how you're listening to this podcast, but someone will write a script and they will shoot a pilot, and the pilot doesn't necessarily come out with the rest of the TV show. I sort of assume assume it as a a proof of concept. Yes, that's, that's exactly what they are. Yeah, so I actually happened to watch the pilot episode. It was online. The pilot episode starred some really famous kid actors. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that I watched the episode. It is definitely all about Miss Bliss and not the kids. And it is very 80s. And it was actually a little bit more somber than what it initially turned into.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen the pilot. I've, I've seen, like, I've seen every episode of Save by the Bell, every episode of Good Morning, Miss Bliss. I've seen, I've seen the movies. I've seen every episode of College Years. Like, I love this series.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, the pilot did star Haley mills as miss bliss they had a different actor playing mr Belding, a guy named uh, oliver clark was an older actor he didn't really do much of note but this is the list of some of the people who were the kids in the classroom gabriel damon who we talked about in newsies who played spot conlin Mm mhm brian austin green who went on to be on 90210 jaleel white oh shit isn't that urkel yeah urkel jonathan Brandis. Oh shit. Is in it. Wow, these are these are yeah, these are big eighties,
0: nineties names.
1: Yeah. And they're they're only on there for a short time, except for Jonathan Braddis plays a larger part in it. He sort of plays the serious the serious turn in the in the episode. But I just thought it was funny. The Good Morning Miss Bliss cast only really starred Zach Morris, Screech, and Mr. Belding. Everyone else they got rid of. Was not
0: was Lisa in that? Was she not in
1: that one? Oh, no, 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 she Lisa was, was. Lisa in was in that, was in that yeah. one, too. That, okay. Lisa was in, too. But then you also had um, Heather Hopper, who played Nikki. I actually liked the character of Nikki in the show. I kind of wish they had had her. No, she kind of morphed into, like, Jesse Spano. Like they, they, You couldn't have both of them. I could see that. The role of Kelly came down to Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Elizabeth Berkley. But they, they wanted... Thiessen for the role, but they liked Berkeley so much that they created the role of Spano. They probably—I don't know if they were going to keep the Nikki character on, but they probably decided that between the two of them, because Elizabeth Berkeley was probably older, she was taller, she had sort of a little bit more of the you know hot girl next door looks than than mm-hmm. Nikki. Nikki was sort of like—I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna go so far as to say Nikki was ugly because she wasn't ugly. Yeah, no, but no, 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 no. she was sort of like more of like the kind of nerdy girl. But can we talk about? Just because you brought it up,
0: between Kelly and Jesse and Lisa, those were all three smoking hot cuties. Like yes. when you were young, oh, it yeah. was impossible not to crush on all of them. Yes, Kelly was like the big crush. Yeah. Everybody crushed on Kelly.
1: Like, ha- and how could you See, not? I was. I, I mean, I liked the character of Kelly. I was not uh, someone who crushed on Kelly. I mm. crushed on Jesse. Oh, yeah, I mean, Jesse was good.
0: I liked, yeah, Lisa was good, though, too. Like, man, like, they were all cute. And actually, I I heard that Lark Voorhees and Mark Paul Gossler had a thing off screen that they were, they're kind of like a. They a,
1: dated they, for many years while the show was going on.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Kelly was – she was definitely, like, the it girl, but all three of them, you know, it was hard not to, like, like all three of them.
1: Yeah. I went back, and I watched a a few different episodes. Um, I watched – I did watch at least one episode of of Good Morning, Miss Bliss, um, not including the pilot. I watched the very first official – episode of of the saved by the bell which was the episode was called dancing to the max where ac slater first makes his his appearance as well I, I watched that one as well i watched yeah and then i also watched probably the most famous and poignant episode from season two called <laughs> jesse's song <laughs> yeah i watched that one too where she gets hooked on caffeine pills
0: that is a classic classic scene in a classic line and everybody knows what's gonna play right now
1: <laughs> pills you mean you really are taking drugs i need them jesse give me those i need them back! <laughs> i have to sing jesse you can't sing tonight yes i can i'm so excited i'm so excited i'm so <laughs> scared <laughs> jesse jesse fuck <laughs>
0: Like oh, I love it. I mean, it's 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 bad acting, but it is also intense, and it like it speaks to like they tried to make this somewhat an educational show. Not really educational is not the right word, but informative to be like you know they had this episode where she gets hooked on caffeine pills, which. <laughs> I know caffeine is super addictive, but it's just—it's also funny because it's just caffeine pills. It's not like other drugs.
1: I think they wanted to show the seriousness of addiction. Yes, of course. And not not use heavy drugs. But it's funny because it's so over the top. I know, you know? I know. But it's good. But they they
0: talked about it. I mean, there was an episode on drunk driving. There was an episode on of like uh you know another like drugs one where. They kind of like were shooting like this video with this douchey guy who was end up taking drugs. And then they kind of have like their own little, you know, yeah, little video at the end that they do about, you know, don't do drugs. So like they, they hit some fairly poignant things where they, you know, they, they, they try to get some messages across in the show,
1: uh, which is good. The whole show really centers around our main character, Zach Morris, who's basically his goal is to be with Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. And and that seems to be pretty much, or have a good time. Yeah. So. (laughs) If you've never seen it, my buddy, I'm going to give a shout out to him. My buddy, Matt Hoarder, just turned me on to this Funny or Die series called Zack Morris is Trash. Yeah, I have seen some of those. Where they basically just talk about what happens in in every episode and how Zach Morris is an asshole. He's he's a complete dick. He's a complete dick to most of his friends because
0: he basically, I mean, literally, he uses all of them to his advantage. Like he took advantage of everybody. More often than not, it was Screech. Right. <laughs> like, Screech took the brunt of it, which made you think, like, God, I know I know, all these other people are cooler than you, but Screech, man, you, you probably deserve better. You should have just go hung out with, like, you know, the other nerds right. or something. But, yeah, I mean, like, he was a complete asshole to, like this large girl who paid for him in a date auction. He was an asshole to this girl that he met from a, who was in a wheelchair that he talked to on a team line. And once he met her in real life, he was like, oh my God, she's in a wheelchair. Like, he's he's a dick. He's an utter dick. He is not a good person at all. Because we're putting them together in this episode, I saw a ton of similarities between Zach and Ferris, Ferris Bueller, right. in that there's no way Zack Morris wasn't slightly modeled after ferris bueller I mean, particularly there's the fourth wall break right zach morris also like seems to always be prepared for shit as well like and he's also he, he gets away with everything same kind of thing as ferris they just they just get away with shit i don't know if they were you know if zach morris was officially based slightly off of, of ferris bueller but like they, they had to have some inspiration there. Had to.
1: Yeah. The show also, it would famously introduce characters that would never show up again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All, like every episode. Yes. Uh, I think there was one where uh, uh, Jesse meets like a, s- a stepbrother or something like that. And th- he decides <laughs> he's going to live with yes. her. And then we never see him again. I mean, yeah. There's there's crazy shit like
0: all over the place. Like at one point, Zach he's he's a racist asshole. Again, he's a dick until he finds out that like he's part Native American, and then he becomes part of, like they this this show it, it 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 took some interesting turns. Like yeah, you, it, you it would you think it was just like a normalish kind of student like a school kind of show, but then there was always some crazy shit that was happening.
1: Yeah, going back and watching it, it is painfully 80s and 90s. Uh, just in like the set decoration and the clothing they're wearing and the way that they talk. It was sort of like going back and watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers again. Mm-hmm. Just sort of like, okay, this is obviously from that era. But I, I don't think I'm ever going to go back and like watch the whole series again. But I didn't cringe as much watching it as I thought I was going to. There were, like I said, there was some poignant stuff that happens. Honestly, I actually think I liked the Good Morning Miss Bliss stuff a little bit better. Okay, and I think I think it was more because I liked some of the characters a little bit better that they didn't seem so dumb. I don't know. I I got to think of a better word than that.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't agree with you okay. actually at all. That's I, fine. I actually not too long ago I went through and watched all of Good Morning Miss Bliss, and I found that one a little bit more painful. Okay, but I didn't need to watch any of these episodes because I know every single episode, <laughs> and I'm someone who I watched the college years. And I really enjoy the college years. And I, I so I watched I watched an episode from every season. So I, I didn't need to, but I watched a Good Morning with Bliss. Season one, two, three, four, and the college years. I didn't uh-huh. watch the new the new class, which was a spinoff show, and fuck the new class. Right. I think I'm gonna go back and rewatch this show. <laughs> okay. And I'm gonna start probably from the high school years because I re- I didn't I felt the Good Morning Miss Bliss years were a little slow for me. Okay. They weren't. I didn't have I don't have as much of a nostalgic kick with that one. And and honestly, you're right. This show is cheesy. It's got its issues. It's not like a, a great show, and it is very 90s. But boy, is it flood me with nostalgia happiness <laughs> <laughs> it really was was kick-ass like obviously like the thing that probably kicks me back the first and the best is that theme song
1: oh yeah yeah don't think I'll ever make it on time. by the time I my bus, I give
0: No, I'm in the best and I dropped it on my homework last night. Right on my chair.
1: classic 80s 90s tv amazing theme songs whether or not you like the show everyone knows the theme song yes the theme
0: song theme song was freaking awesome and i when i went back and i watched the college years i forgot how much i liked that theme song i'm
1: standing at the edge
0: of the For my eyes
1: So much for me to explore It's where my future lies
0: Today I'm standing At the edge of tomorrow From here the future Looks bright for me And it's all up to me How far
1: By the time the College Years came out, I had kind of outgrown the show.
0: Yeah, okay. Which I I had not. If you go back and if you watch that intro, and I'm not just talking about like the music. The music is very more 90s. Like Saved by the Bell's music is kind of its own thing, and it fits really well. Yeah, it's 80s, 90s. But the College Years theme song, holy shit, is that 90s? Like this is like <laughs> extreme 90s. And you watch the opening, just the opening title sequence, it's perfect. <laughs> 90s nostalgia. Definitely like that. But. I
1: do remember from the college years, I did watch a few ac- a few episodes. I probably just saw them with you or probably at home when someone was watching it. I did actually like the character of, I think it was Michael. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, played by Bob Golick. Yeah. Who
0: is uh, Mike Golick's Older brother from Mike and Mike in the Morning, the ESPN guys, but he was a pro football player. I actually did like that character. Yeah, definitely. He was he was like an RA. Yeah, I like him. I like the other characters too. Alex, who was kind of like the the funky RC one, who Slater ends up dating, which I you know eh, I didn't love that relationship. They they weren't as good as as Jesse Spano. She was no replacement for Jesse. <laughs> yeah, it was it was still good. I, I what I always thought was weird though was we know Screech was smart. Like because Screech, I think in like the, one of the final episodes of the original run jesse spano is like upset that she isn't currently like the valedictorian because like screech is in that spot or something like that Uh uh-huh but i think i think jesse ends up getting it i can't i think but like if screech is that at that level of if not valedictorian like being salutatorian kind of thing right why is he going to the same college (laughs) as zach morris (laughs) yeah I, i never got that he was too smart for that shit yeah uh, maybe, maybe he got a massive full scholarship or something, but, but there's so many things that I like about the show. And, you know, they were, they had like some little offshoot stuff that I thought was, you know, it wasn't the main cast, but things that also they, they were some reoccurring characters, things like in season three, I think it was, they have like this summer where they go and they work at Malibu Sands uh, and we see the Carosi family, uh, which Stacey Carosi, uh, who was played by Leah Remini. Ah, and she was kind of like. For that summer, Zach and Kelly weren't really together. And so she was like the love interest just for that summer. I always thought the Malibu Sands part was fun. And then at the end of the show, someone who I didn't like as much was Tori. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like the character of Tori.
1: So they had already wrapped on the show. And the studio ordered like a few more episodes or something like that. But Elizabeth Berkeley and Tiffany Amber Thiessen had already booked other gigs okay and so they needed a character so they basically just created the character of tori and then the argument was that that tori had always been there but she just <laughs> she just she just ran with a different crowd and so when uh-huh. zach interacted with her the other two were just never around okay yeah so it's just like tori belonged to a different group of friends that's a bit of a stretch. it, it is. <laughs> It is, but then here's the thing. Then they then they showed them out of chronological order uh, and inputted those episodes in the middle, so that Kelly and Jesse disappear and then come back later.
0: Okay, I mean that makes sense. But yeah, it was always Tori. Didn't I? Didn't care about her relationship with Zach like I cared about Zach and Kelly. Like they yeah. they were like the couple that they that they wanted us to go for. Like, I liked
1: the character of Tori though. Well, first of all, she was different than the other girls. Yes. No, I didn't dislike Tori
0: as a character. I just didn't. I didn't think her and Zach made sense as a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Well, to me it does because I feel like Zach would try to fuck anything that moved. Sure, <laughs> true. That guy, he's probably got all types of STDs. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just want to throw out that they had. I've and I've seen. I've seen all of the things. I've seen the Hawaiian style movie. Um, and then at the end of college years, Zach and Kelly get engaged, uh, and they have their wedding in Vegas. That that movie was like the end of. Everything they kind of all wrap up, and everybody kind of comes back for that. Even Elizabeth Berkeley comes back for that, which is good. Yeah, and I like all of it, man. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like every single one of these things, as cheesy as it is. And I the thing is, this is not the show that I think is actually a really, really good show. But this is a show I am will be rewatching because it just it fills me with joy from when I was younger. I think almost every day I would come back, come home from school, and this would be. On mm-hmm. somewhere, and I would watch it, and so this, it made me happy watching this show again.
1: <laughs> if you can't tell, as long as it makes you happy, then who am I to judge? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. This
0: episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by Trapper Keeper.
1: Hi, Jeffrey. How'd you find me? Easy. I just followed your notes.
0: Guess I'm a loose-leaf loser, huh?
1: You need a Mead Trapper Keeper. It comes with trapper folders that trap papers in, so they don't fall out. I've got a trapper for every subject. And the Trapper Keeper holds them all. Neat. <laughs> really neat. With this Velcro closure and this tough door seal construction. The Trapper and Trapper Keeper from Mead.
0: Whoa. Think Mead makes a locker size Trapper Keeper?
1: All right, and now we are going to do the casting portion of the show. As we said at the top, we are going to recast our version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off set in a modern setting using actors of today. We're going to do a a pretty good list of characters. We're going to obviously do Ferris, Cameron, Sloane, Mr. Rooney, Jeannie, and Mr. and Mrs. Bueller, who I didn't mention when we talked about it, but uh, the two actors who played uh, Ferris's parents Got married after that movie. Oh, very cool. <laughs> I think they got divorced in like 92, like five or six years later. But they, you know, that's a Hollywood mm-hmm. marriage for you. But they did, they fell in love and got married right after it which I thought was cute. Yeah. So uh, obviously let's work backwards. We'll end with our our main title character uh, because I imagine that's probably the one we'll have the most arguments about. Very possible. So we'll start with Mrs. Bueller. They're not huge characters, but they do play sort of a consistent role in the story. They do show up quite a bit, just sort of here and there all the way along. So I'll go ahead and start. To me, You could, you know, as long as you can use someone who can kind of be funny and serious and, you know, Mm -hmm. play each part as they need to be. And it really didn't necessarily matter who was in this role. Yeah. So um, I went with someone who actually I've enjoyed uh, some of her movies that have come out lately. Um, I loved her in the movie Red. She famously had a really great show on, I believe, Showtime called Weeds. um, And I cast Mary Louise Parker as my Mrs. Bueller. I like that
0: a lot. I think that actually fits quite well. I mean, she's, yeah, she's played a TV mom and she's got, And I like Weeds, I like the, the first two seasons of Weeds a lot, mm-hmm. and then it just starts to like decline after that. <laughs> yeah, Mary Louise Parker is a good call. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. If, and, and funny enough, the actress who I picked as my Mrs. Bueller's was in Weeds with Mary Louise Parker for one of the seasons or maybe two, but she's most well known as being uh, a TV mom already in Modern Family, I went with Julie Bowen. That's a good call too. So we went with very similar, except for I went blonde, you went brunette. Right. Like they, they are both they both very, very similar on, on those roles. <laughs> yeah.
1: For the father, Mr. Bueller, I went, uh, meh, not necessarily younger, uh, maybe younger looking than, than the actor who played Ferris's father was. I'll go ahead and I'm mean, already talking about, it, so I'll, I'll kind of jump in. Um, I went with uh, a guy who's probably most famous role... Came when he was shot to death by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, he's also recently he was recently in the um, Luke Cage series. I went with actor Frank Whaley.
0: Oh yes, okay. I wasn't sure who you were talking about, but now looking at him, yeah, he got he got lit up in Pulp Fiction. Yep. Uh, okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. I I'm fine with that. I don't I don't really know much of his other stuff, or I can't I can't pick him out, but. Sure. I'm going to say sure, because I agree with you that pretty much in the, the Mr. and Mrs. Bueller role, you can pretty much have anyone.
1: It's kind of, you know, it's it's a generic white guy role, so. <laughs> yeah. Or is it a generic white guy role, John? Well, it depends. It does, you're right. It doesn't have to be.
0: <laughs> because as we said, you can cast anyone in this role. That's fair. And I did. All right. I cast, and you'll obviously tell this This will mean my Ferris is probably not the same as your Ferris, but, and I, honestly, I based my Ferris casting off of my, I liked my Mr. and Mrs. Bueller casting <laughs> so much that I was just like, I'm going to force, you know, something into uh, the Ferris Bueller casting, which I think will be just fine. Okay. But, I've been watching Blackish a lot. Okay. I really like that show, and even though this actor is he's way more funny than Mr. Bueller is, uh-huh. but the thing is, I know he's a good actor because he's also been in like The Departed and some other good shit. So he's a good actor. Yeah, he can play funny, and in the show Blackish, he plays like a pretty damn good businessman as well. So, uh, but he's awesome. Anthony Anderson is who I went with. Yeah, like he's he's hilarious, but he's also. Really good actor, and I just I've been wanting to put him into something, and so I'm like, you know what? I bet him and Julie Bowen would be a good couple.
1: Yeah, I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> and so, so. that's al- that's also a really good call. That's also a really good call. And yes, uh, my uh, casting of the parents was influenced by who I picked for Ferris. So gotcha. And I kind of I kind of went backwards.
0: Yeah, my Ferris was influenced by my parents of my casting because I did them earlier and I was like I want to make this work so I I made it work
1: okay Uh, so let's actually go to Genie the sister I had a little bit of a tough time because you got to pick up pick someone who could play uh, an angsty teen I'll let you go ahead and start with this one. So uh, so I have a black
0: father and a white mother. And so that means my genie and my Ferris are both from a mixed family. Um, so I wanted to cast kind of towards that. And this character played someone who she, who was very sassy in the movie Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, she is a very good actress. And she's kind of on the up and coming right now. And I think she kind of fits in with the time frame. Um, I went with Zendaya. As uh, my genie, you cast her before and as a uh, Viper in our Brave Star casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Zendaya, she, I think she fits with this, and she, she could totally just from seeing how sassy she can be from Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think she could play like the angsty, angry teen uh, of genie pretty well.
1: No, that's a... I mean, if you saw Spider-Man Homecoming, that's a great call. She fits right into that role. <laughs> um, I picked someone who uh, it might be unexpected, maybe. I think she's actually a little bit older than the person I picked for Ferris. Yeah, as actually, as, as is mine, but I mean, they're actors. They yeah, can make it they work. can make it work. Um, I went with someone who was famous for being a, actually a, a little uh, a child actor, but I think given the shot could shine in this role i don't know that she has too many roles that would really that would really kind of prove this concept that she could be it however to be honest i haven't seen too many of her movies outside of the harry potter series i went with emma watson
0: oh okay uh she's a, that's a big name for genie yeah but yeah that's, a, that's my only thing that's fine i mean i'm, I'm i love emma watson she's really strong actress so, yeah, I'm cool with that. And actually, funny enough, I just looked up Jennifer Grey is two years older than Matthew Broderick. Okay. So, it, I mean, it, it's acting, baby. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, okay. All right. I'm cool with that.
1: All right, uh, let's go on to Mr. Rooney. I had actually kind of a tough time with this one. I had a hard time finding someone. I'm going to go ahead and kind of jump in and tell you who I picked. I saw someone in a movie recently that kind of reminded me of the character of Mr. Rooney a little bit. And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know what, I bet he would do really good in this role. I have not seen the series Fresh Off the Boat, but I hear it's amazing. And he was amazing as the FBI detective in the recent Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. I went with Randall Park.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I haven't seen Fresh Off the Boat, but multiple people have told me how solid it is. Yeah. I'm not going to shit on Randall Park because I think he could probably, you know, kick ass in that stuff. He seems, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's funny in the
1: stuff that I've seen him in. Yeah. So he kind of plays that role a little bit in Ant-Man and the Wasp just as an FBI okay. detective. Not uh, Have you seen Ant-Man and the Wasp yet? Not not yet. Okay. Um, he kind of plays that role. So I thought he, it would over well to transfer over well to this movie. Cool. I like that. I think you're going to like my pick better. I hope. Okay. This is probably
0: my favorite pick of this entire casting. Okay. Um, is who I got for Mr. Rooney. I think for, for Mr. Rooney, you have someone who you got to have some good comedic acting. Uh huh. Also someone who can be a little bit intimidating, at least early on. You know, he's a principal and he, he thinks he's intimidating. Yeah. But there's also some physical humor with Rooney. So I tied all of that in together and I thought, who could do that? janitor I picked <laughs> Neil Flynn as my mr. Rooney I think he could totally kick ass
1: you know what you're you're definitely right he would be in a am- he would be amazing in that role I bow to you on that one sir so cool I'm happy I
0: like that one that was that was my favorite casting on this one so I don't care about everybody else <laughs> <laughs> okay um do you want to do Cameron
1: or Sloan next
0: uh I, let's just go let's go Sloan yeah Sloan okay Cameron.
1: uh Sloan again it's not a character that was terribly dynamic in the movie Agreed.
0: That's why I kind of think we just knock her out because, yeah, she was pretty flat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I decided I'd switch things up a little bit. Uh, I wanted to go with someone who I wanted to see more of. Um, this actress is really good in the TV show Black Lightning. I went with uh, China Ann McClain.
0: I have never seen Black Lightning, but she's definitely, oh, a cute, definitely a cute girl. Okay. So she's also in the Descendants movie, it looks like.
1: Yeah. She was a, she was a Disney kid. She was an ant farm. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, I have no doubt she could play that. Hey, and she's from Decatur, Georgia. Good for her. <laughs> I like her better. Even I like her even better now. But I'm kind of with you that I think most anybody could play this role. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully they could kind of maybe elevate it a little bit. Yeah. Cool. I like that. I went with an actress who uh, I had someone different up until like last night. When I started watching Stranger Things 2, which I know people don't rip me apart. I haven't seen Stranger Things 2 yet. I'm just started it. I want to make sure I finish season two before season uh, three comes out. But uh, I went with someone who I think looks like Mia Sara a little bit. And she's a good actress in Stranger Things. And I think she could definitely bring something a little extra if needed to the role. I went with Natalia Dyer, who plays Nancy Wheeler in, in the Stranger Things show
1: okay yeah I can see I can definitely see the resemblance I might make some enemies with this one and because uh, I've had multiple people shout at me for this I've not actually even seen any of stranger things yeah um oddly enough yeah. that's not true I have seen one episode I've seen the finale of season two that's the only episode I've seen. <laughs>
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Don't then don't spoil
0: it for me. At least the one episode that you saw.
1: I won't. I really couldn't tell you what was going on. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now, Ferris's best friend, Cameron. I'll let you take this one first. Okay, Cameron. You gotta be someone who can kind of be
0: someone who can play someone awkward. And I wanna. I'm gonna give my second choice because I also still think I might like him better in the in the call. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to cast two people from Spider-Man Homecoming. I almost cast Jacob uh, Batalon, Uh who played Ned. in. He was Spider-Man's best friend because he's kind of like, I don't know, silly and funny in that one. And I think he could kind of play neurotic. Yeah. But I didn't end up going with him. I went with an actor who I really liked in the movie Mud with Matthew McConaughey. Great. I really liked that film. Um, And so this actor played Neckbone. In that movie, and he actually at the time looked a lot like River Phoenix did from Stand By Me. Hmm. And his name is Jacob Lofland. Uh, he's good. He looks a little gangly now. So now nowadays he's a little bit, a little bit more awkward looking. Uh-huh. But I think Cameron looks awkward, and this yeah. guy is good. I want to see him in more stuff. Just it was him and Ty Sheridan in Mud, and Ty Sheridan is a much bigger actor now. He was in Ready Player One, okay, and stuff like that. I very much like this actor from that film. And so I think,
1: I yeah, I think he could please, He's my camera. Okay. No, I mean, I haven't seen Mud unfortunately, but I mean, he could look good. And I mean, if you say he's, he's you know, he's got those, the right, you know, acting attributes, then it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with someone who recently played uh, kind of an awkward character uh, in a movie that came out a year or so ago. He didn't get a ton of screen time because his alter ego in the movie was played by The Rock, uh, I went with the <laughs> actor Alex Wolf who was in the movie Jumanji the recent Jumanji movie. Mm-hmm. He played the character that the rock you know was turned he was turned into the character that was played by the rock um, he is he kind of is is actually very awkward and and actually is also kind of thin and gangly so kind of, <laughs> kind of similar attributes yeah. but I think he plays that part well and could really play the neurotic Cameron pretty well
0: nice I uh, I just recently watched the Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle movie and a lot of people were like yeah it's actually pretty funny and then when I saw it I was like damn they're right because I didn't want to like it <laughs> right for some reason I didn't think it was going to be good because probably because you know I have the nostalgic love for Jumanji and I'm like why the hell would they even like remake this but it's not a remake it's a continuation right which was cool but it was funny that yeah. was it was a funny pretty solid film so
1: cool i i and jack black who i don't i don't typically lean towards uh kind of steals the movie a lot of the time yeah he does it's good now to our hero i'm going to go ahead and start really hard time picking this one in all the castings we've ever done i had my biggest list of choices for this character i don't know if any if people are going to like this choice if you're going to like this choice i narrowed it down to one person who i think could embody the role i don't know that they've really done too much that Is exactly like this role, but I think he's got the right attitude for it. I've actually used him before, and it was the only thing that was holding me back for a while before I initially went with him, but he was also in Spider-Man Homecoming. I went with Tom Holland. (laughs) Oh God. uh, Tom Holland was the very first
0: name I wrote down. Yeah. Yeah, he was the one I was going to go with until I kind of switched up the parents.
1: Right. (laughs) There's nothing to say that you couldn't... Use no. Tom Holland and, you know, say it was, a you know, it's like a stepfather relationship or just not say yeah. anything, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, true. So I didn't end up going with that, but I like that call a lot because that was,
0: he was, uh, I think he could play that, Ferris is confident, yeah. you know, but he's not like super overly good looking guy with... Tom Holland's a good-looking guy, but he's also in most of all other Matthew Broderick roles. Matthew Broderick's kind of like a nerd, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is like this is like his only role where he's like the the cool guy. Yeah. And I I think Tom Holland fits really well, and I honestly like that call better than mine. But I switched mine up a little bit to okay. to fit more. with no, my fair. Style of what I was doing. That's fair. So, but yeah, so I definitely a good call. Oh, cool. Yeah, it would have been funny if I just said "ah, eh, fucking," I was just going to pick the Spider-Man: Homecoming cast, which I almost did. <laughs> uh, but so I went with a- an actor who uh, has mixed parents himself, and he's totally fine. I haven't really seen much of his work. The thing is, I know Matthew Broderick was a big child star, right? When you know he was already like a child star before he got into this one. Um, so I'm not sure you know this guy's name, but. He's big in the Disney world because he's also a Disney kid. Okay. And he starred side by side, China and McLean, in all of the Descendants movies. Okay. Those made for TV movies. His name is Cameron Boyce. So he looks a little awkward, like he could play like a nerd, but that kind of reminded me of Matthew Broderick a little bit. And I'm sure he could have the confidence um, and be pretty darn good. Uh, as as my Ferris Bueller
1: he's a good looking kid again uh, much like you I have I have no real base <laughs> I never saw the descendants or any other Disney stuff he was in so I just have to take it on faith yeah I mean the only uh, of the two the only one I have to go on for anything is Tom Holland so but I'm not gonna say yeah. I hate your choice because I don't I, again I don't really know him so I, I can't really argue against him
0: okay I'll take it I'll take a non-argument okay
1: not too bad <laughs> I think we came away with between the two of us pretty good cast. Yeah, mostly Spider-Man cast. Yeah, pretty, we're pretty much just gonna rehash. You know what? We're just yeah. we're just gonna I'll tell you what. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna rebrand it, and it's gonna be Spider-Man Two, Spider-Man's Day Off. And, yeah, and we're just done. We're, we're just gonna take Ferris Bueller's Day Off and put it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: That'd be a better name than Far From Home. Right.
1: <laughs> All right, and that is our uh, recasting for Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: Please join us next time for an episode we recorded while at Long Beach Comic Con, while we asked people there what their favorite shows were when they were younger, as well as we interview director and producer of the animated X-Men show from the 90s, Larry Houston.
1: If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blast past cast that's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time